You're listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. The only internet podcast powered by cheap, efficient, clean, nerd rage. Hello and welcome to episode 4 of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. I am always as your humble, well, maybe not humble, but your host, Sean Ingle. The idea of this podcast is pretty simple. I talk about funny books, and hopefully some of you listen. More specifically, I talk about the funny books uh, published by DC Comics between the years 1990 and 2004, underneath the title of Green Lantern. Here I'm going to be covering the Green Lantern books, specifically putting a focus on two of my favorite characters, Mr. Guy Gardner and Mr. Kyle Rayner, two of the most underappreciated Green Lanterns, especially in modern-day comics, and hopefully I'll give you sort of a new perspective on the characters and show you what they meant to me as comic book characters. With that preamble out of the way, I'd like to give out a few shout-outs. First, I'd like to say thank you very much to Mr. Andrew Leyland of Hey Kids Comics for uh, promoting my podcast on his show. He played the promo and actually did a really good introduction to it. Uh, thanks to him, I will be promoting his show, of course, in upcoming podcast. Andrew and his son do podcasts about, well, random comic books. They usually pick a comic, and recently they've been covering The Secret Wars, which, unfortunately, I haven't read, but... The way they're covering it is both informative and amusing. Obviously, it came out before the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and it kind of wanted to be Crisis, but from what I'm gathering of it, it really kind of failed on that. I think it was all a big marketing ploy for Marvel to sell toys, so you know whenever a comic book comes from trying to sell toys, you never get anything good. (coughs) G.I. Joe. (coughs) Transformers. Okay, okay, that was sarcasm. I don't want any negative letters from Luke Jacanetti or the hair metal hero. I know they're big Transformers and G.I. Joe fans. But if they're listening to this podcast, I'd appreciate letters from them anyway. Also, I'd like to thank uh, Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner of the Two True Freaks podcast. Just this Monday, the day of recording, they released a podcast called their Quarterly Report, where basically they just sat around and talked stuff about the the SOPA which I guess is the Internet Piracy Act, 
the Stop Online Piracy Act, one of the uh, <clears throat> brilliant bills being pushed forward through our wonderful Congress, and uh, about Star Trek and Star Wars and the general nerd stuff that they talk about. They heavily promoted my show, and they put it actually at the beginning of their episode, so that was completely awesome, and I want to give a shout-out to them and thank them for doing that. But the one thing that I'm most excited about, at least for this episode, is I have finally gotten my first piece of mail. You've got mail. Pattern baldness. <laughs> and remember, anyone can send mail. Uh, I'll give the information now. It's at justoneoftheguidespodcast at gmail.com. I'll also have that at the end of the show. But the first piece of mail I got is from Michael Bradley. You may know him if you listen to the internet or if you listen to podcasts from the Green Lantern's Light podcast. He's also the host of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman. And he wrote, he wrote, he writes, Hey, Sean, Michael Bradley here, one of the three hosts of The Green Lantern's Light. I came across your show after hearing a promo on another podcast, and I wanted to give you a shout. Cool. I appreciate that, Michael. I, I'm wondering, you know, let me know what uh, show you heard it on. I'll give them a shout-out as well. We'll all have a big, fun, happy promotion thing, and it'll all be great. Getting on to the rest of his letter, he says, I heard your first two episodes, and I think I can speak for Jeffrey and David when I say we appreciate the plugs you've given us. It just so happens that in the next episode of Green Lantern's Light we record, we'll be covering the first appearance of Guy, as it was reprinted in Green Lantern number 184. So I'll be sure to refer to your show for fans who want more of Guy. We'll be covering the GL issues you're covering now, but not for a little bit. And we haven't decided about Guy's solo series. Besides, people might like a second perspective. Anyway, I heard the first two episodes and thought they were good. I always like to hear people talking about books they love. Keep it up, and thanks for helping to keep the Emerald Light burning. Signed, Michael Bradley. And he goes, P.S. The pre-stuff that came up in Episode 2 comes from the Green Lantern story in Action Comics Weekly. So yeah, we'll be covering that eventually. And he says, at our current rate, probably about one and a half to two years from now. And he goes, post-postscript... I think the first part of the oh-so-ridiculous Capri Sun ad can be found in the book's cover dated prior to Green Lantern number one. So that would be, well, like, May 1990. When I get home, I'll dig through the long box and try and get a scan of it for you. Well, guess what? Michael actually got me a scan of the ad, and for your listing pleasure, I will be dramatically reenacting the first Capri Sun. The Apes of Wrath. Look forward to that. But with that preamble and the first of what I hope to be many letters coming forth from viewers, or rather listeners, we're going to take a quick break, play some promos, and then we'll get back to the review of Green Lantern number four. Hang on. In a world where planets die. I have come to the conclusion Krypton is doomed. Did I hear him right? Where good and evil fight a never-ending battle. The millions of people will die. Millions. Once again, the press underestimates me. One man will become a hero. Every world needs its heroes, Clark. They inspire us to be better than we are. Protect us from the darkness that's just around the corner. One man will 
rise to the challenge. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird! It's a One man will wear spandex. Well, one thing's for sure, nobody's going to be looking at your face. Mom? <laughs> well, they don't call them tights for nothing. <laughs> Presenting The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, a podcast looking at the Man of Steel's history via his earliest adventures in comics, radio, and film. Featuring reviews, commentary, creator spotlights, and more. Join the adventure at GreatCrypton.com. Let's get this show on the road, gang. I'm Batman. This looks like a job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. The dawn of an age. The founding of a family. You know we haven't done enough research into the effects of cosmic rays. We've got to take that chance. Conditions are right tonight. Let's go. They're penetrating the ship. Our shielding isn't strong enough. I feel like I'm burning up. Too heavy. Can't move. Too heavy. We're all alive. I feel so strange. You're fading away. I can't see you at all anymore. Look what's happened to you. You are changing. Oh, Reed, not you too. What happened to me? To all of us? I can fly. We gotta use that power to help mankind, right? And so was born the Fantastic Four. For soon, the mole man will have the entire world in his power. I am the mightiest living mortal on Earth. And half mankind shall feel that might. The Fantastic Four. Little do they dream they're the palms in the hands of Dr. Doom. Human Torch will be the Puppet Master's next victim. You bastards can't change the way I can. Gotta be dying the most powerful person on Earth. I've been expecting you. For I am the Thinker. I vow never to return, my lord, until the Fantastic Four are no more and the Phantom is no more. You're in the presence of the awesome Ralatons, King of Kings, Master of Men, and Lord of the Seven Sons. You're just a muscular freak. Blind or hope. Stop! You must not enter the castle of Diablo. 
Fantastic Four from the very beginning witness the origins of a legend. The Fantastic Cast, ffcast.libsyn.com. I couldn't believe he was really dead. I didn't know what I could say to you. Yes, child, we know. We I know. was there. I watched him fight that thing. I watched him die. I didn't do anything but watch him die. Lois, Lois, now listen. It's not your fault. You did all you could. Everyone did everything they could. Now you've got to get on with your life. We all have. The battle is over. A hero has fallen. Miss Lane, I monitored Superman when I arrived. I cannot pick up any brain activity at all. As the city mourns, a family comes to grips with the loss of their son. I keep coming back here to the North Pasture, where he first came into our lives, to say goodbye. His fellow heroes feel regret. Oh, if only I could have helped him, Lex. While his enemies see opportunity. Well, now I'm back on top. And you can't do one blessed thing about it. You're dead. You're nothing. Metropolis is mine again. And you are an empty, lifeless, withering husk. Worst of all, his true love has to learn to live without him. Goodbye, Kal-El. This January, from Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast presented by SupermanHomepage.com and SupermanPodcastNetwork.com begin their coverage of the second part of the Death and Return of Superman trilogy. Every Thursday, you are invited to join hosts Michael Bailey and Jeffrey Taylor as they explore how his friends, loved ones, bitter enemies, and fellow heroes deal with the loss of the Man of Steel. A city in mourning. A world without Superman. A funeral for a friend. And we are back for our review of Green Lantern number four. So let's hit it. Green Lantern number four was cover dated... September 1990, with a U.S. price of $1 and a Canadian price of $1.25. No U.K. price this time. The title of the comic was Among My Souvenirs. The writer was Gerard Jones, penciler Pat Broderick, inker Bruce Patterson, letterer Albert Guzman, colorer Anthony Tolan, assistant editor Kevin Dooley, and editor Andy Helfer. Same group as last time, and we're ready to go. The story opens with a man's fist stuck into a Green Lantern battery, slowly counting to ten. The next panel reveals Hal Jordan recharging his ring, but not repeating the solemn Green Lantern oath. After a ring-powered shave, Hal heads toward an orchard, looking for work and humming a Roger Miller tune. He stops to look at the sports page of a discarded newspaper, musing about the Dodgers winning a game against the Giants. 
Unfortunately, he misses the front page headline, which reads, City Vanishes Into Space. Meanwhile, a giant green orb floats through the vacuum of space. Its contents? An entire city. On the abandoned streets, a mother clutches her son as she looks upwards in horror to see the face of the Mad Guardian. He has grown to an enormous size, and he places the Pacific Coast city next to the myriad of other cities that he has pulled from sites across the galaxy and placed on Oa. While the Guardian marvels at his work, a trapped John Stewart tries to reach other Green Lanterns through a telepathic link with his ring. But the Guardian senses John's thoughts and scolds him for thinking of anything but the task of building his new world on Oa. Back at the orchard, our old buddy Clay, the hippie from issue 2, is looking for a job that obviously has no screening policies. He hears Hal that has got a job here and goes out to meet his old friend. After entertaining local migrant workers, Hal climbs a ladder to the top of a peach tree where he and Clay banter as a baseball game plays on Hal's transistor radio. Suddenly, a news report cuts in with a report of Evergreen City just vanishing. Hal comments that he used to live there for a while, and Clay asks him if he was going to fly there and check it out. Hal turns off the radio and comments that the world is full of heroes who can handle this. Oddly enough, heroes are at the site, investigating the cavernous hole where Evergreen City once stood. Justice League members Fire, Martian Manhunter, Blue Beetle, and Guy Gardner are bewildered at the disappearance. Suddenly, the tortured face of Jon Stewart forms on Guy's ring, cryptically sending a warning to him to head east. Guy heads off, just as a giant blue hand reaches from the sky to scoop up a small Indian village. Night has fallen, and Hal and Clay have finished their work for the day. Clay, who is probably toking up on the job, Ask Hal what his hang-up is. Hal goes through why he dropped out of the core, and Clay counters with some mumbo-jumbo about butterflies and unicorns. Hell, I don't know. It's all hippie-speak to me. Hal tells Clay that he still wears the ring because if the world needs him as Green Lantern, they can call him. Cut to the farmhouse of our favorite hot widow mom, Rose, who is tucking her son into bed. She has been busy with all the farm work since Hal Jordan left, and Toby asks why she doesn't ask Hal to come back. Frustrated, she turns out the light to Toby's room, and she turns on the TV to try to get her mind off of Hal. Unfortunately for her, the local TV station's late-night movie is... Here Comes Mr. Jordan. Frustrated again, Rose switches off the TV, presumably to go have a cold shower and some time alone in her bunk. As the floating, disembodied head of the Mad Guardian appears at the farm, while a struggling Jon Stewart tries to close his mind to the Guardian. Under Earth's crescent moon, Hal Jordan lies under a tree in vain, trying to fall asleep. He vows that the next morning he will stop recharging his ring and finally be done with being a Green Lantern. As he falls asleep, the effects of standing too close to Clay for such a long period of time finally get to him, as he starts to trip out and sees the trees talking to him. But, in reality, this isn't a contact high-induced hallucination, but a message from Jon Stewart, begging Hal to help stop the Mad Guardian. Hal awakens to Clay, asking him what he dropped last night. Hal tells him of the dream, and Clay lets Hal know of the cities that have disappeared. Clay gives Hal the stoned, yet succinct, 
pep talk that he needs, and Hal rings up and flies off to the next city that he believes that it will be taken, Hope Springs. On cue, a bright green light streams all Close Encounters style into the window of Rose and Toby's house, as Rose looks on in horror. Hal arrives too late, and asks some locals what they saw. After they relate what happened, Hal knows this is personal, and he is resolved to what he must do. He walks into the chasm, where Rose's house once stood, and takes the lantern from his pocket dimension. Saluting the lantern, he mentioned that it has been a long time since they've talked. He places his hand in the lantern, recites the oath, Brightest day, blackest night, no evil shall escape my sight. Let those who worship evil's might beware my power. Green lantern's light! and blast through the night sky towards Oa. Okay, I know I keep saying it over and over during the coverage of these comics, but these just keep getting better and better. Uh, This comic, although not the penultimate issue of this arc, is really good, and it has an awesome ending. The final splash page is amazing. I can't say enough about it. But that's enough random gushing. Let's go along to my notes. We'll start out with the cover of the book, which is a really nice cover of uh, Hal Jordan standing on a road looking at this enormous crater uh, with a sign to one side saying, Welcome to Evergreen City. He knows that the city has been decimated or taken. It's just a really neat shot, and it really shows the immensity of what's going on with the Guardian taking cities from their homes and placing them on Oa. Page 1, panel 3, we get a shot of Hal using his ring to construct up some shaving cream and a razor, which again is kind of one of those odd uses of the lantern to do things that you wouldn't think it would normally do. Plus the fact that, you know... Just a minute ago, he wasn't even willing to say the oath to charge his ring, but now he's willing to use his ring to get his shaving done. Page 1, panels 7 and 9. We've got the typical male stereotype of, Oh, look, here's a newspaper. Let's see what's happening in the world. Ooh, sports page. And completely oblivious to the fact that the main headline is that a city vanishes into space. Well... Let's hear it for male stereotypes. Page 3, we get an awesome splash page of the Guardian, sort of arranging cities like, you know, a fanboy would arrange his comic book collection or his action figures. You know, it's a really epic shot of the Guardian just towering over these weird, different, varying alien cities. And on page 4, panel 2, we get to see some of the denizens of these cities, and they could not be more disparate. They're, we've got pretty much humans along with, what do they say, the steam frogs of Glubbo. Unfortunately, the steam frogs of Glubbo need acid rain to keep their skin moist, which will probably be pretty detrimental to the humans. Page 5. You thought you were rid of him, but no. Clay and all his hippie goodness are back in the story. Nice. On page 7, the inset panel, we see how, after hearing horrible news of a destruction of a city, 
and he just turns off the radio. Yeah, I understand that Hal's trying to find himself and doesn't want to be Green Lantern, but to just callously turn off the radio when he knows that he could do something about this is just not a characteristic that I really enjoyed in this part of the story. It seemed really out of place. Also on page 7, bottom panel, just to do a little nitpick, there is a typo in one of the word balloons. Uh, Hal says, that was another lifetime for me. And besides, the word is full of heroes. I think it was supposed to be world. Just a minor nitpick, but when you're going through these, you know, panel by panel looking for stuff, those things tend to pop out at you. Page 8, panel 1. Hey, it was really nice of Reed Richards to lend the Justice Leaguers the Fantastic Car. Because if you look over in the corner, the vehicle which uh, B, Jean, Ted, and Guy came in, it doesn't look like the Blue Beetle's bug. It looks a lot like the sort of Bird Era Fantastic Car. Not the bathtub version, but the one that, you know, had to look more of a spaceship. And to carry on with the whole Marvel vibe, uh, page 8, panel 4. Doesn't look like Jon Stewart's trying to contact Guy in his ring, but it kind of looks like Modoc might be. But that's neither here nor there. Page 9, panel 5. I don't know if this is just me seeing racial stereotypes in this book, but this seems to be another one that didn't really carry over from last issue, but another stereotype anyway. Page 9, panel 5. We see basically a group of Indians being dislocated once again. This time not by the white man, but by the giant blue man. There is never an end to the suffering, and I really kind of expect to see the next panel of an Indian with a single tear running down his cheek, just not knowing what's going on. Pages 10 and 11. Man, more stereotypes, but this time with Clay just being a typical 60s hippie, and it's really ridiculous. Let me read a little bit of this to you. Look, man, it's a crescent moon tonight. The moon of Isis, man. The gods of rebirth, you know. Uh, He goes on asking Hal, Hey, Hal, can you still fly? Because if I could fly, I'd be flying. I don't know why I'm doing Keanu Reeves there, but it kind of fits. But this is really the piece to resist on. So, you know, Hal's talking to him about, you know, why he stopped being Green Lantern. And Clay goes, Well, man, maybe it was the questioning that did it. I mean, sometimes you are just gotta be something, bro. If you're just a farm worker, you're just a farm worker. If you're a Green Lantern, you just be a Green Lantern. It's like Zen, you know? Like a butterfly dreaming it's a man. There's where Clay pretty much lost me. So I'm done with Clay. And, you know, if something unfortunate happens to him and he never makes it back and we never see him again, I will be happy with this book. Page 12. Even though Hal was only with Rose for a couple of days, she still can't get him out of her mind. Hal seems to have that effect on women. Next on page page 13, panels 6 and 7. Broderick's artwork on Jon Stewart, his face, and the contortions, you can really tell that he is just struggling to do anything to get away from the Mad Guardian. It's really nice art, artwork on these two panels. Page 14, panel 6. I know it's probably got some sort of protection around it, but I wouldn't think it'd be the best idea to fall asleep 
outside, underneath the tree, with your Green Lantern battery right next to you. Just saying how. In pages 15 and 16, we get a nice sort of change in the color of the artwork. The colors are really subdued. It's only sort of the dark grays and the green of Hal's uniform and the constructs, and it gives the whole aesthetic of the scene a real sort of ethereal feel that we don't know whether this is actually something Hal's witnessing, whether it's a dream, whether it's a transmission from Guy, not from Guy, from John. So, really nice artwork on these two pages. Page 17, panel 6, we finally see Clay being good for something as it gives Hal the final pep talk to have him come around about being a GL. You know, I guess in one of his lucid moments, he pipes up with, You know, bro, I've been thinking about you. Sometimes when a guy thinks something owns him, he tries running away from it. Which is really insightful and rather clever for Clay's character. Unfortunately, in the next page, panel 18, panel 1, he gives us this line. But as long as you're running from it, it still owns you. You grok, man. Yes, for the younger folks who don't know what grok means, it was a term that comes from the book Stranger in a Strange Land, written by Robert Heinlein. And in general, it means to intimately and completely share the same reality or line of thinking with another physical or conceptual entity. And uh, one of the big things that it may be best known for are some t-shirts that came around in the late 70s with the quote on it, I rock Spock. It was one of the sadder late 70s things that happened to come out of the Star Trek universe. And finally, we get to page 21, which Broderick just knocks out of the park with his artwork. It's a great shot with Hal walking down into the chasm where Rose's farm used to be, pulling the lantern from its pocket dimension, giving a nice sort of military salute, placing the ring up to the lantern, and reciting the oath. It is 12 different types of coolness. And then the last page, we get this awesome, awesome splash of Hal flying through the Earth's atmosphere, just determined look on his face, heading towards Oa, and it is, you know, it's it's awe-inspiring. You know, in the comics I've read recently, even some of the Jeff John stuff, nothing really got to me as well as this. So I hope you people who aren't able to follow along with me in the comics do think about going and trying to pick up this, either in the single issues or in trade, Thankfully, DC has reprinted these first eight issues in the Green Lantern, the Roadback trade paperback. I'm certain you can go pick that up. It would be well worth your time if you are a Green Lantern fan. Well, with notes out of the way, let's move along to the ads for the comic, especially a couple of special ones. Page one, you get an ad for a Game Boy version of NFL football. Now, this was well before Madden and well before Color and well before the graphics looked any better really than an Atari 2600 graphics on basically a green LCD screen. Later on, we've got NARC. No one had the guts until now. And if I remember this, this was sort of a side-scroller shooter where you basically shot up people and there was an anti-drug message piped in there too. 
probably because it was the end of the Reagan era and the Just Say No program was still kind of going on. I guess it's kind of ironic to have an ad for this game in a comic that is basically permeated with a guy who obviously has done far too many drugs. Next page, we've got an ad for the Advanced Dungeons & Dragons module for Ravenloft, which was basically uh, the progenitor of Vampire the Masquerade for uh, Dungeons & Dragons fans, so there's the beginning of that sort of role-playing craze. Get another ad for some AMT stock cars. You could have an STP, a Kodak, or a couple of other cars that you could order if you decided to cut out the little thing in your comic book which I'm certain not very many people did. Next page, we get the same advertisement for football cards that we did in the last one with Phil Sims and Dan Marino. Then we get an ad for, I don't know, Golgo 13, The Moffat Conspiracy. I have never heard of this game, and I think rightfully so. And another page for, this time, Fleer Premier Edition football cards. I don't know why they decide to put football cards in a comic book. You would think that'd be kind of antithetical to really what's going on. Even more unusual than the football and baseball cards are Heads or Tails Sports Stars Collector Coins. I can understand, you know, collecting rare coins in this, but coins with the heads of Bo Jackson, Canseco, Madley Boggs, Hershiser, Strawberry, Yount, and Nolan Ryan on them... Was there really a market for these? I guess I just missed out on it. And on the back page, we get an ad for the Nintendo game Demon Sword, which looks like a horrible, crappy Castlevania knockoff. And the back cover gives us a wonderful, sunny, and chocolate crunch-filled comic. So, selling Cocoa Puffs to kids in comics. It's a wonder that I don't have type 2 diabetes. But now it's time. Time for the ad that... Hopefully you, and definitely I've been waiting for. It's the Capri Sun ad. Here we go. Capri Sun 100% Natural presents The Adventure, Part 5. One good fern deserves another. And we get the kids in an opening with an elephant in the background, and, of course, Harry Harry tagging along. And we get the blonde-headed Neil saying, We've got some terrific plant specimens for Dr. Stanley's experiment. Dora pipes up. Do we go back the way we came, or try another route? And little Paul replies, Another route? Well, what could be worse than facing those rapids again? Next panel, the kids are walking through the jungle with their elephant friend, as, along with Harry Harry, going, Facing a swamp. Great idea, Dora. Dora says, Don't blame me. There is no swamp on this map. Next panel, we get Neil jumping in to the water, going, Maybe we can tie these logs together and... Yipes as he steps right on top of a crocodile. Pretty non-observant, that Neil character. Next panel. This place is crawling with crocodiles. Neil yells, got any other ideas? And of course, Dora, being the explorer that she is, gets wrapped up in the trunk of her elephant friend and says, yeah, him. The elephant looks like it's going to carry them across the plain. Next panel, we get a silhouetted figure of the elephant with the four kids, or the three kids, and Harry Harry riding a back, going, Dora, you sure know how to travel first class. I don't get it. And then the next panel, we see the four kids on top of the elephant with Harry Harry 
happily displaying some more Capri Sun, and we get Neil saying, Amazing! Harry Harry always gets a fresh supply of Capri Sun. Paul says, This time he had help. His elephant friend packed it in his trunk. Har, har. Ah, comedy. But then, unfortunately, we get the final panel which says, The adventure continues. Watch for the final episode, which is cleverly titled, The Final Episode. Obviously, these people don't understand irony. But wait, if you thought that was all with the uh, Capri Sun ads, you are mistaken. Because Michael Bradley was kind enough to send me a scan of the very first Capri Sun natural ad. So, for your entertainment purposes, here we go with Capri Sun 100% Natural presents The Apes of Wrath. And we open to a panel with basically a Colonel Sanders looking scientist saying, We're going to have to scrap the project. I hope for better specimens, but the vegetation's too moist along the riverbank. And Dora comes in and says, But we've come so close, Dr. Stanley. Neil says, Maybe we can go farther inland. Next panel we see Dr. Stanley saying, Too dangerous. Tomorrow we head back for home. Neil gets the kids together and says, We've got to save this expedition. Think fast, Dora. And Dora's fast thinking leads to them stealing a raft with a motorboat on it. And in this panel we see Paul saying, I hope you guys know what you're doing. Neil replies, You bet, Paul. We'll go inland and find dry specimens that the dock needs. Dora says, I'm counting on you to get us through this, Neil. Next panel we see Neil hacking through the jungle with his machete going. And Dora says, We haven't gone far enough, Neil. The foliage here is affected by the river. And next panel we get... (sighs) Harry Harry jumping out at them, yelling... Cry-ya! Yes. Cry-ya! <clears throat> and an astonished and frightened Neil yells, Yipes! An ape! Let's get out of here! And in the next panel we see Harry Harry chasing kids. And Dora shouts, Nothing can be worse than this, trapped by a wild ape. And Paul, ever the brilliant one, retorts, Oh Yeah? How about being trapped by his soccer team? Because, obviously, apes are master soccer players. And we get to the next panel, and we see these, you know, Harry Harry menacing the kids, and these other apes sticking their hand into a pool of water, and Dora says, How nice, he's checking the temperature of the water before they drown us. That's rather pretentious of them, thinking that the apes are going to drown them, because the next panel, we're treated to the scene of Harry Harry pulling a net of Capri Sun out of the water, and Dora exclaims, Look like we're invited to a party. What should we do now, Neil? Neil replies, The only civilized thing we can do. Pause for a refreshing Capri Sun drink. The final panel is, of course, The Adventure Continues. Watch for part two in Diamonds Are For Never, where we get the wonderful Diamond Zit reference. Man, these ads are kooky. I wish they would go on forever and ever. Unfortunately, like I said, next time is going to be the last one. But hopefully we'll find things to entertain us along the way. Well, that's it. 
I appreciate you guys for listening to the show. I appreciate you guys downloading it. If you want to send email, please do. That message will be at the end of the show. Thanks again for listening, and I hope to see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast, hosted by yours truly, Sean Ingle. All images, stories, and music are copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. This podcast is done solely out of my desire to show the denizens of the internet that comic books could be fun, humorous, compelling, thought-provoking, and exciting, while not having to fall into the weary tropes of the 1990s. I am in not any way doing this for monetary gain, which irritates my wife to no end. All feedback for the show can be sent to the show's Gmail account at justoneoftheguyspodcast at gmail.com. All feedback, positive and negative, is warmly welcomed. All spam bots are warmly welcomed too, as long as your definition of a warm welcome is for them to die horribly in a fire. The website address for the show can be found at justoneoftheguys, all one word, dot libsyn, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com. There you can find the RSS feed, as well as scans of the covers and whatever else I feel like putting up. Look for me on iTunes. Just search for Just One of the Guys Podcast. You can also search for me on Facebook. I mean, you won't find me there because I don't have an account there. But if you have enough free time to listen to me babble on about funny book characters, you obviously can spare some time to wander around on Facebook. Thanks for downloading and listening, and come back next Friday for another episode of Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern. The opening music for the show was The Pretenders, My City is Gone, and not the theme to the Rush Limbaugh show. Although it does show that sometimes even conservatives can acquire music for their own personal use. If you would like to acquire this for your own personal use, why don't you do it through the iTunes, or go to the Amazon link at twotruefreaks.lipson.com, click on that, and download it from Amazon. You'll be helping out a podcast friend of mine, and keeping their show on the air.